I'm really good at the woodblock. I'll be the woodblock guy. You are a woodblock guy. <laughs> 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 Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Not Your Father's Movies. I'm Vito. I'm Mike. And I'm Jesse. We're the Dad Fathers coming at you with some nomad energy. Nomad energy. Along yeah, with. We're not mad. We're not mad. That, that's no, why it's nomad. There's no madness no. in it. That's what this movie is about. Just <laughs> no madness. But we're joined today by a, a very special guest. And it's actually kind of funny that we're having this guest here at this time because the last episode that he was on we were talking about losers and misfits and outcasts and that episode everyone it's dave dave is back dave is what's back. going on it's your favorite loser misfit <laughs> back on the mic <laughs> we're happy to have you we're happy to have you we missed you it's good to be here it's I been like six months well. yeah that was uh halloween and prior to halloween we recorded so yeah it's been it's been a minute that's too long yeah, I thought I'd see you before then. It just never worked out. I, well, absence did make the heart grow fonder on the on my end. I'll tell you that. Oh, thanks, so. man. Oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> but I mentioned this this misfits, outcast, losers thing because this is our first episode in a new series. Everyone, we're cracking open a new series of episodes for you. Crack. Exactly. Crack, squish, sizzle. That's the egg in the pan. That should be. Yeah. That's what happens. Okay. It's, it's, it makes it sound like, okay. But our series on misfits, outcasts, losers is starting off with kind of a special episode here. It's a new release, but it also is a main episode. It's nomad land from this year, uh, directed by Chloe Zhao and starring Francis McDormand. Super excited to talk to you about this, all of you guys. Um, this movie's been getting like a lot of attention, oh, yeah. and we kind of figured if we're going to talk about misfits, if we're going to talk about outcasts, this is the entry point. This is how we talk about it. Um, so getting right into it, if you haven't heard this movie, heard of this movie or what it's about, it just very generally is about a woman named Fern, played by Frances McDormand, who finds herself at the beginning of her life as a nomad living in a van, driving around the country, picking up odd jobs where she will, all the while trying to sort of reconcile her new way of life with her old one, her past life. Um, I think it's probably the best way to sum that up with as quickly as possible. But maybe we should go around the horn here and talk about our first impressions. I was, uh, I first saw this movie when it was released on Hulu. I guess it was released in 2020, technically, and we're in 2021 now. But it was mass released on Hulu uh, just a couple of weeks ago, at the end of towards the end of February, mm-hmm. and uh, I was really excited to see it. I've I was hearing a lot about it. It was getting a lot of buzz already, so it, it was something that I was really excited to see. And it was uh, a remarkable experience seeing seeing this movie. It was beautifully filmed, beautifully made, and the story was just very well crafted it, it was a very different sort of movie from what i don't know i normally watch i think anybody normally watches <laughs> and uh it was just a really really wonderful uh experience all around yeah i guess that's that's good for first impressions i mean there's you know there's a lot of stuff in it that's 
that resonated, I guess, and, and has been sifting around in my brain for, I don't know, two, three weeks now. We're going to talk about all that stuff. Yeah. And, and, but given that first impression, is this something that you would show to your kids at some point before we really get into the movie? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, I was rewatching it today and uh, my, during my daughter's nap time um, and my daughter woke up right towards the last 20 minutes of it. So she kind of saw some of it, but she also fell asleep. <laughs> um, which makes me think this would be a great movie to turn on when they wake up in the middle of the night because it is a very calm, <laughs> slow, beautiful movie, and it put her right to sleep. <laughs> so no man land with dad? So in a way, yes. <laughs> in a way, yes. But another way, I, I don't know. I don't think I'd like, go out of my way to show it to them necessarily. Although, in another way, you know, if they – I, w- I would because, you know, getting a little bit into the meat of it, um, it's it's about, you know, some of the fallout of the of the financial crisis. And if, you know, sort of as a history lesson, uh, human interest sort of story, it's a good it's a good piece to put on as well as just an incredible movie. Um, so, yes, I, I, I think I would. Maybe I'm changing my answer as mm. I'm figuring it out. On mic, this is great. Uh, <laughs> oh, mic on mic is always great. Mic on mic, it's what I do every day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I think I would. I think I would show it to them, but but not until they're older, for sure. sure. And, and it can really it can really resonate with them. Yeah, absolutely. I I think I'm going to rhyme a lot with that, and I don't think I have too much to add there. It is an interesting period piece in terms of it. it, it it has happened in the past a little bit and I'm kind of wondering, I'm kind of wondering when you would talk about it, like when you would talk about the recent history of 2008 and what it meant for so many people. Um, considering the fact that we were, uh, young, <laughs> pretty young when 2008 happened and none of us were really going through the crisis and we were just watching the people that we knew possibly our parents, um, dealing with this. And it's funny seeing that alternate take. And trying to figure out a way that you could even talk about this, because it's such a a lifestyle that is the opposite of what we are all doing. All of us gathered around the mic, you know, we are all actually trying to do kind of the opposite. We're trying to stake out a place for the family to be. We are trying to find some permanence, some some spot we can lay down roots. And I think that would be an interesting thing to talk about, uh, offering a, a different perspective on life to my kids. So I, I would agree. I think it's a dad movie. And I don't mean for us to sound not enthusiastic. We really like this movie in general. We're, it's just kind of a difficult one to talk about. And I would also say probably mid to later teens, but not for any sort of content, mm-hmm. simply because the subject matter is it needs a lot of, uh, it needs a deft touch. It needs some understanding, some explaining. And, and it's also just the beauty of it, too. You need the kid to be able to, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, I don't like kids to be able to experience that beauty. Yeah correctly or or have the capacity yeah. maybe to yeah because there's even moments where i didn't quite have the capacity i think to understand the beauty and there was definitely a few moments where i was looking around at things that were not the screen because i had been watching a landscape for a little bit of time <laughs> and i'm just not geared towards being okay with that what do you think jesse uh in regards to that subject i i, I would want the kids to be older more because like i want them to be exposed to more 
beautiful things and to be exposed to trauma because that's another similar theme in the movie right it's just like every somehow somebody along the way has experienced trauma in the lot in their lives which has led them to the road because they just they can't be in a house anymore and they need in order to understand this movie i think you need to be older i understand that and then appreciate the contrast to the beauty that's shown throughout so i'm i'm with i'm with you guys in saying that it has to be an older it's an older age yeah and what were your first impressions of this I had many first impressions. This movie gives lots <laughs> of impressions. It's it's very beautiful. Uh, it's one of the most, like, having recently gotten a 4K TV, it was like, <laughs> this was a great movie to watch that on. Because, like, it's just, the landscapes are so beautiful. Even if, like, like looking back on it, I've seen those landscapes. Like I've passed quartzite so many times, but for some reason, like seeing that on a 4K television, it like ah, oh, cinematography is so good here. I I love it. I love it all. Um, I love watching this movie, uh, as a feast for the eyes, and the acting is wonderful. And this, um, and also uh, I can tell a little story here. Uh, so this story kind of resonated with me because I in my late high school years and early college years, I used to just like randomly talk to people on the streets and there were, you know, that was lots of conversations I've had with lots of people, but there's like one time, one guy in Ventura, California, he was just like sitting on a bucket reading a book. Um, and this was like at seven in the morning, sudden riots was happening. Um, and I just went over to talk to him and he started telling me some of his story. Uh, I, Looking back now, he left out a lot, but basically he had a really successful job, decided to leave it all for some mysterious reason that he never told me. Um, and he was sitting there in kind of like raggedy, dirty looking clothing, reading reading uh, The Art of War by uh, Sun Tzu um, nice. <laughs> at seven nice. o'clock in the morning. And I looked at him and I said, what? Like, if you were successful, why are you on the street right now? And he just like looked up at me and said, look around, look at the sunset, look at the sky. Isn't this beautiful? And I was like, yeah. And then I, that was the last I ever talked to that guy. Never heard or saw from him again, but I've been thinking about that guy for so many years. And so this movie comes along and it's like, this is, this is about people like him, right? This is about people like him that just, that had to leave society for some reason and just want to experience beauty. And I I love this movie for that reason. Um, so it, so I really connected with the movie on that level. But um, I also have some... I, I want to hold back a little bit. Because when I, when I go for uh, character-driven dramas, I want drama. And I never really feel like I get drama from this movie. But I love what I'm seeing. So I want to discuss that a little bit later, but in terms of what I show this to my kids at, yes, I would, because this is unique. This is different. Um, I think people should see it um, at least one time. Uh, and yeah, I'd show it to them in their later teens. How about you, Dave? Um, <laughs> well, I have to say that I, I right off the bat, I loved it. Even just the description that I watched this with Mike and he's, and I had never heard of this at all before. He suggested, how about Nomadland? And I was like, well, what's that about? Francis McDormand wanders 
in the American Southwest van life after the 2008 crisis. And that was enough for me to be like, yeah, let's watch it. Let's do it. I'm in. Um, I, thought it was- I knew it was a lock because um, because of the Florida, the Florida project and, and your yeah. deep love of that after the uh, another great movie after the 08 financial crisis. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, actually. Yeah. I That's probably one of my favorite movies. And I liked, although that was not, to my knowledge, any non-actors, um, it really had that feel. And I really appreciated appreciated that about uh, Nomadland, um, how all the nomads are real people who have really done it. And I'm all, I feel like I always am attracted to those kind of movies. Um, others like American Honey and yeah. Kids, I believe, are all, all yeah. real people cast. And there's a certain when you're doing a movie about an extremely unique lifestyle and set of people, I feel like there's a way if you can cast the real people, you can capture something that even the best actors never really can. So I thought that was a very wise choice for this, and I thought it paid off um, tremendously. Um, it also had a personal resonance for me because I've certainly never been experienced the kind of hardship that these people have, but I have actually you know, been fairly nomadic for a lot of my adult life. I've done a lot of traveling, a lot of long-term backpacking. You know, I've bounced around a lot you know, and had a fairly minimalist lifestyle, and I've always been attracted by the romance of this and in my times that I've really been kind of fully on the road, I've always found that experience really intoxicating and that there's a lot that it can teach you. And I thought this movie really overall captured the feel of that. Um, but it was really striking. It's one thing to experience that kind of intoxication when you're a young person and you presumably have, I mean, you know, you're never guaranteed you know, to keep living, but you're not really, you know, you can pretty safely assume I have my whole life ahead of me. It's an entirely different angle on that type of experience to look at it from the perspective of older people who are kind of in their, their third act already and figuring out what it is. Um, So I thought that really resonated thinking about that experience from the other side and it still captures a lot of the beauty of it, but there's just a lot more, um, I don't know if I even use the word sadness, but, there's just a much more serious edge to it than other kind of nomadic movies, like something like American Honey, which is you know told from a young person's perspective. It's very that's very gauzy and kind of and, and a, little, a little dreamlike. I guess it's very it's dreamlike. I, I really liked it, but it is it's very gauzy. It's very dreamlike. There's a lot of anthemic pop music and like yes. sing-alongs almost. But it's very hypnotic. I would say is actually the word that I. It felt like once it draws you in, like you're really in this very dreamlike sensory experience yeah. i really enjoyed it but it's totally different from this even though it's kind of trying to capture the same feeling yeah um but i thought it was really a, a very interesting angle to look at it from an older person's perspective and how it's still teaching a lot of the same things but the lessons hit hit a lot harder i think um, yeah th- this feels like life like this feels like they're living and american honey at, at different times sometimes more felt like a long road trip yeah yeah it was a road trip yeah whereas this yeah there's no real there's no real destination. Um, but I would say, yeah, I, I would, I would say I would certainly um, show this to my kids. Although I kind of feel like it's the sort of movie that you're not really going to get that much out of until you've gotten to the point where you're starting to think about putting your life together yeah. in a meaningful whole and thinking about what it all means, what it was all for. Um, and I mean, you don't really get to that point until you're the age of the characters in the movie, but until you kind of have, <laughs> until you kind of have a sense of like what that's like trying to piece, like what is my life? What does it all mean? Um, 
I think it's still a beautiful movie that can be appreciated, but I kind of feel like, you know, the older you are, probably the more likely you are to get something out of it. That's a good point. It's a bit like what Bob Wells says uh, towards the towards the end of the movie, I think, uh, where he says, you know, everyone here on the road has experienced some sort of loss. And uh, we all know we all know know that very well at, at this age. In a certain way, without having experienced that, without having experienced serious loss, serious. Um, and, and like you said, you know, trying to fit your life together into a whole. Uh, it's hard to hard to maybe resonate with it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe that time that you need to spend in your early 20s is really important to get a sense of what this feels like. But of course, unless yeah, unless you go through these very specific set of circumstances and come to this sort of life further on in your own life. I mean, almost everyone in this movie is over the age of, of 50. Um mm-hmm. many of whom yeah. I think probably say well, over the age of 60. Yeah. And this is very much like a, a later life kind of experience, but there is a kind of rhyming like you're saying, Dave, where if you are more nomadic in your early days, you can get a sense of that that feeling a little bit more. Yeah, but it was it was striking to me because because when you're young, living in the moment is generally very appealing. And I feel like American Honey really captures that feeling of totally living in the moment. Yeah. But for old people, as a general rule, they don't really like to live in the moment all that much. They're more comfortable living in the past, or and not even necessarily in a negative way, but kind of through the signs of what they've done: their grandkids, their house, their business that they're passing on the things that are kind of memorials to their life but they're all kind of representative of what they have done so to get the perspective of old people some by choice and some forced to live extremely in the moment uh is a really interesting angle that i thought was was definitely worth exploring and brought out um a whole different side of the nomadic life that i hadn't really seen before well, yeah, it's also really cool that a movie can can capture that, can capture moments of how people are living their lives, which is what I think makes this movie such an experience to see, because you feel like you know exactly what it's like to step in their shoes, to live their life in their shoes, like live a day in the shoes. What is that? What is that fucking walk phrase? a mile in their shoes? Yes, that one. <laughs> you know what it's like to walk a mile in their shoes after seeing this movie because, like, it captures them living in the moment, and you you get a sense of their of every minute of their life, and you kind of understand what it's like. And yeah, that movie is great and succeeds phenomenally at that level. Yeah, it's 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 deeply empathetic in in a way that I think is kind of unique because we talk about some movies being that way but it's such an experiential kind of movie it's such a a moment to moment you being there with them and kind of the filmmakers getting out of the way of the movie right like the actual interactions that she has with people i found it very difficult to remember to look at the frame i found it difficult to remember to watch the movie as a movie and i found it more as something that was unfolding in front of me in real time. And I mm-hmm. thought that was just like a really great strength. That's very rare to find is something that so involves you with the lives of the people here and the visuals of what you're seeing and not be going, Oh, what a beautiful shot. Oh, he framed that so well. Oh, look at the colors. The sound is really good here. You know, you're not really noticing those technical aspects. Uh, there's something very deeply involving. Um, but given all that, the people that brought this to us, uh, this was uh, directed, produced, and written by Chloe Zhao. This is her third film after Songs My Brothers Taught Me and The Writer. Uh, this movie makes her only the second woman. Uh, the first was Barbara Streisand for Yentl in 1984. 
and the first Asian woman to win in the Best Director category at the Golden Globes. We haven't mentioned anything about the Academy Awards because as of the the time of this recording, we do not know the nominations. Nomadland has also won the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival and the People's Choice Award at Toronto International Film Festival. Big, big awards. And uh, Best Motion Picture in the Drama category at the Golden Globes. This was based upon the book Nomadland, Surviving America in the 21st Century, that was written by Jessica Bruder, who undertook a three-year and 15,000 miles of driving from coast to coast and from Mexico to Canada in a van named Halen, which is really incredible. (laughs) Van Halen! Yes! (laughs) This is my van, Halen. (laughs) That's great. Uh, This was produced by and stars Frances McDormand. Uh, she's one of the, our most decorated actresses who is still really risking a lot. She's doing hard, hard acting work that I think a lot of women uh, post-60 are just not doing. Not that that's wrong, but she is almost experiencing a renaissance of her just like chasing these difficult meaty roles. Yeah. But she started out uh, early on in the New York scene. She's actually roommates with um, Holly Hunter. And at the same time, she was also meeting the Coens and her future husband, Joel Cohen, who directed her in Blood Simple, Raising Arizona, Fargo, The Man Who Wasn't There, Burn After Reading, and Hail Caesar. So it's a big run with the Coens. But she's also known for Mississippi Burning, Almost Famous, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. She has won two Academy Awards for Best Actress for Fargo and Three Billboards. And she's been nominated for Best Supporting Actress for Mississippi Burning, again for Almost Famous, and again for a movie called North Country. Uh, she is has the Triple Crown for Acting, which is an Emmy for all of, all of Kitteridge, which is fantastic. It's really, really good. And a Tony Award for Good People, making her the 12th woman to hold the crown. So her co-star, I'm going to mention real quick before we jump into the movie, is uh, the only real co-star here, as everyone else is played by real nomads who have real lives as nomads. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but it's uh, David Strathairn. You know him from a lot of things, but um, he was Oscar nominated for Good Night and Good Luck. He has also appeared in Lincoln, Godzilla, and Godzilla King of Monsters, The Bourne Ultimatum, The Bourne Legacy, L.A. Confidential, The Firm, Sneakers, A League of Their Own, and Eight Men Out. He's he's very good in all of those. Every every other person like plays themselves, like they have the same names. Even like Linda yeah. May, who is another big character, she's Linda in here, and that's who the book was based off of. That is so cool that that it's like a movie where she's a she acted, and I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell when I watched it. I think that's pretty brilliant. Like in some ways, I think she has to be considered an actress now just because she's so damn good. Very definitely. And and she's telling her own story that the story that she tells about her, her thoughts of suicide later on in the movie, she was very clear that that's, that's a real story. She was just telling a story to a friend. Um, and that friend is Francis McDormand and they just happened to tell it on screen. And she's so natural and good. And you can see how someone who has lived with that kind of those kind of thoughts or those kinds of decisions would tell that story in just such a matter of fact way. Like mm-hmm. this is what happened to me. And this is, this is what I've done after that. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. And swanky. We can't forget swanky, grumpy oh, ass swanky. swanky. <laughs> <laughs> she's really good. Um, oh, she's but getting back to Francis McDormand real quick. So getting into the character of Fern, I think we're going to jump from actress to character because in an interview that she gave with uh, the Toronto Film Festival on their YouTube channel, TIFF Originals, that she gave with Chloe Zhao, she has mentioned that she felt like Fern was a part of herself. 
she she later clarified it later in the interview saying that all of her roles were, but she said she felt specifically touched by Fern. So going deep into her background a little bit with a, a New York Times profile that was done on her, she actually has a pretty nomadic background herself. She was born Cynthia Ann Smith in Illinois and was adopted at one and a half years of age by the McDormans. Uh, Vernon McDorman was a pastor for, I believe, the Disciples of Christ, who specialized in restoring congregations. So they moved around a lot when she was younger, I, I think more than four or five times um, between different towns in the Midwest, going from all the way from Illinois to Tennessee. Um, and she states her biological mother was probably a member of her adoptive family's parish. She later had the opportunity to meet her, which she declined. She has two siblings, both of whom were also adopted, although up to her own estimate, she believes her family had taken in around nine children um, at different times to foster and take care of. She said uh, the family was like, they just took in strays all the time. And her, interestingly, her only child is named Pedro McDormand Cohen, who they adopted at six months old from Paraguay. He is now in his 20s and is a massage therapist and is very happy. <laughs> that's great. Um, it's something that's actually kind of funny that kind of ties into this character. Uh, I found this off of, uh, I think, USA Today, an interview that she gave. Um, this is a quote from the article. In her 40s, the Nomadland star made a promise to her husband, filmmaker Joel Cohen of the Cohen Brothers. When she turned 65, she was going to change her name to Fern, set out in an RV, and start smoking Lucky Strikes <laughs> and drinking wild turkey. Now at 63, her plans look a little different, although the open road still beckons. I will not drink wild turkey. I'm much more sophisticated in my tastes now. It's Casamigos tequila all the way, McDormand says. But I have invested in a camper van and intend to drive across country in March to go visit my friends on the East Coast. End quote. En route to Canada where she'll shoot another project this summer. That's awesome. A little bit further on, she said, it, also in that TIFF interview, that uh, Fern is very close to herself. She says further that a part of her character is true to a part of the actor's life. Together, she and Chloe worked to be true to the Fern character in all situations. They created the baseline of this character and then, quote, every situation had to kind of use that as a trampoline and then become whatever it became in every situation. I, I think that's really fascinating. Like she yeah. built this character with Chloe on this book, but they needed a way because the book's about Linda May and the movie uses Linda May as, as, a, as a very important character. But yeah. Fern herself is is a, is a construct of Chloe and Francis as kind of like a Francis stand-in, which is really strange. Uh, and something I don't know, I don't know when the last time I saw something like that was. I don't know how you even do that. Like, I mean, obviously I'm not Francis McDormand. I'm not a great actress. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not an actress. Um, <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I'm, glad we, I'm glad we confirmed that. Mike is not a great actress, but he is great. Or maybe I am a really, really great actress. No, you're not. I could Ooh. be. No, you're not. No, you're not. You don't know that. No, you're not. You've flipped character too many times. playing yourself effectively in the movie. Yeah, oh. you know, interesting. Interesting, one of these Dave. days, Mike is going to fall asleep and he'll wake up and realize he was Meryl Streep all along. Um, I think we all do that. When she takes off like the beard and the fake nose and everything and you're like, oh, it's Meryl Streep. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> if you've been Meryl Streep this whole time and you haven't told me, I'm going to be so mad at you. You too, man. I'm not Meryl Streep. I promise. <laughs> 
just like something else. <laughs> Will the real Meryl Streep please stand up? <laughs> Would the real... All right. If you were Meryl Streep, though, you wouldn't say anything because you're you're so good. So you would you would continue to lie. So there, actually, nobody. Would I don't stand think up. that Meryl Streep's a method actress. I think she like she specifically works and like goes home to her beautiful family. <laughs> Are you saying that because you're Meryl Streep? What my family's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Getting back. Getting back. A question I wanted to ask you guys is about this character of Fern. Francis McDormand and Chloe Zhao definitely know who Fern is. And that is really helpful when watching the movie when it becomes difficult, maybe for the viewer at times, to understand who she is and why she's making the choices she's making. Uh, who to Fern is, who, who, what kind of relationship do you guys have to Fern? Do you feel like you understood her in the movie? Do you feel like she made sense to you? Maybe, Jesse, you brought this up a little bit before. Did you want to talk about that at all? I mean, I I don't think she makes complete sense to me. She has a lot of she does a lot of very odd things. Like I, I guess I'm not entirely clear on her aversion to sleeping under a roof at a certain point. And then it seems like there's a huge backstory with her sister and her brother-in-law, and you you get some sense of what that dif- difficulty and struggle is, but you're not like you're you're left to fill in a lot of blanks on your own. So I get I get a very impressionistic view of Fern in the movie, which is she is somebody who just I think she's kind of confused about who she is to a, a slight degree, at least at the beginning, and then becomes more permanent at the end. Um, but she's just somebody who needs to be free right now. She needs to be free of, I guess, confines and free to her band. She just wants to experience nature, but is also panicking about that throughout the film right well like her fan breaks down like what does she do she needs another job at amazon she's calling people and like i don't fern is just like i think she's just like most other human individuals <laughs> she's she's got a lot of stuff going on and she doesn't have herself fully figured out i think that's my impression of fern do you feel like you had a sense of who she was at the end it's it's not, it's almost something I I want to say yes and no. That's that's like my that's going to be my entire answer. It's like <laughs> I I feel like that she's going to constantly make decisions in the moment, and it's really hard to gauge in a moment who someone might become, who someone can can change to be. So as she's living the nomadic lifestyle, which requires you to be that to some degree, like to do what it takes to make it through another season. Um, but also I, I get a very impressionistic view of her as just needing to travel around and be free. And like, she is discovering who she is. So, so yes and no, Mike. What, what, um, do, what do you say to that, Mike? Yeah. I, I guess I'm trying to, so when that question um, makes me think like, if you say, no, I don't get a sense of who the character is. It makes me think like, oh, that's a negative on the movie. Maybe that's not necessarily, or maybe that's not necessarily with this movie. Um, I do feel like I, I know who she is, or I, I get why she makes the decisions that she makes. Um, but I, so, I mean, I don't know. It, mm, I guess mm. maybe, maybe to me, when what, what that question means is, do you understand, does, does the decisions that this person is making in the moments that she's making them, 
Do, do they make sense with her character? Yes. Yeah. That that okay. part always makes sense to me. That's something I'm always like, okay. oh yeah, I get why you're going from point A to B to C to D. I get how that, I get why and how that's happening. But it's just like, if you take a look at the entire arc, maybe I don't understand that, which is oh, okay. what I'm having, what I'm failing to grasp a little bit, which requires you to dig really deep in somebody. Like what are, what are their true motives throughout all of this? Um, it might be more complicated and it feels like it is. And I don't quite have a grasp of that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I've got a pretty good sense of the arc of the character. I think it makes a lot of sense too. Cause I, I definitely, okay. So I definitely feel like I understand her, her choices. I feel like they're, they, they integrate completely with, with who she is as a person. And I do think I, I see the arc. It, I, I mean, I, I don't know if I could go through and say like, oh, definitely this is where this happens. But I do think there are definite moments where you see her changing. And I guess, I, I guess in, in my mind, what I sort of saw was that, yeah, she definitely didn't know where she was at the beginning. She didn't know who she was anymore. She had lost that because she had gone through this series of, you know, she, she'd chosen who she was very early in life when she married Bo, her, her husband. But then he died, and he died before uh, Empire, the town that that they lived in, the town that was owned by the um, Gypsum Mining Company. Oh, they're, they're making sheetrock, right? That, yeah, that's what they said. I don't know what component. I forgot what component they're making. But yeah, it, it's a processing plant that gets shut down. Kind of, yeah. it's like a, a plant town. Like yeah, the whole town is about just this industry, just this workplace. Yeah, so getting kind of into the meat of the story, I guess, you know, it starts out with we we know that Fern's husband is dead, and we know that she was a resident of the mining town of Empire uh, that was owned by the mine, and it had uh, thousands of residents who lived there and worked in the mine. During the financial crisis, it shut down, and it went from having thousands of residents to uh, losing its zip code. There are, there's pretty much nobody living there anymore. Ghost town. It's a ghost town. It became a ghost town, a new American ghost town, which is wild. And you find out as the movie goes along that her husband actually died before the the city shut down and that she had been living there in, in a certain way to pay pay respects to his memory because she says, and it's, it's wild. Um, it, it's, I don't know, it's incredibly emotional. The way that she explains it, it, it so simply, you know, he didn't know his parents and we had no children. So if I left the town, it would be like he had never existed. And so she, she stayed there and she says, you know, everyone loved him. Everyone knew him. We knew who it, you get the sense. We knew who we were. And I know who I was through my relationship to my husband and the relationship with the town in his death. He kind of uh, became the town to her, and she paid tribute to him by remaining there and, and keeping up the friendships that they had. You have this whole sense of the story that that we never we never see. But then, you know, she's reduced to no one's left in the town. She's reduced to to having to go work at Amazon and and all of these nomadic seasonal jobs, and uh, and that uh, is you know. What she's kind of processing is is that that loss of of him directly, and then the loss of him again, along with 
her relationships to everyone who knew him and knew who she was, because that's who she sort of defined herself as. And I think that the movie is a series of, of, of her mostly realizing that that's what happened um, and what's going on with her. I think there's, there's this key line that Bob Wells says uh, that I, I quoted half of it before uh, when he says, you know, everyone on the road, we all we've all known tremendous loss. And, and he talks about the loss of his son to suicide five years before. And he gets emotional. And, and Bob Wells is, is a real person, too. And, and this really happened. And it's like he says, I, I can't talk about it without crying. It's been five years already, you know. And I, I'm sure at the time that it, it was filmed, it's it's even longer. But it's yeah. real. It's real. He's not an actor. And then he says, and not everyone gets over it, and that's okay. And I think that that's, I mean, mostly what that story arc is, is her coming to know that that's the case. And through that process, you watch her thaw through her relationships with people who help her see into herself and, and see that this is what's going on, that this is actually some sort of response to to the trauma. Yeah, there's there's a stark a difference between her at the beginning of the movie getting going back to Amazon for the first time yeah. and then meeting Linda and meeting all those people and then her going back again near the end of the movie and her like cuz before she's she's excited to talk about her band but not with anybody really until she encounters Linda. Yeah. But then in the end she's just wandering around in the snow saying happy new year. Yeah. And with her oh, fireworks. That's right. That's it was right. Good. when she's first okay. there she celebrates new year's by herself. Yes. She's in the van by herself. She doesn't go in out. Bed, right? Yeah. 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 And and at the end she's walking around with the sparkler. She's saying happy new year. And, and both times she's alone. Yeah. But it seems like she's okay with it. Yes. Time. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think, Dave? You've been very quiet. Yeah, well, yeah, there's a lot. Well, I would say just to pick First off, right where you guys left off, that that experience of her celebrating New Year's the first time sitting alone in a van and then the next time walking around with her sparklers and celebrating, I felt like captured a lot of what a wandering type of trip can do. Because in my experience, all the trips I've taken have sort of been like this. And the first one in particular was this way where you show up and you feel extremely self-conscious, guarded about who you are, worried about, you know being judged about asked about why you're doing certain things where you've been and then you have that kind of experience where inevitably somebody just sits down and starts talking to you the way that linda may does and then almost kind of takes it upon themselves to introduce you to the crew whoever happens to be there and you get ushered in and then you have people immediately just openly sharing their stories sharing everything and there's a certain freedom to it because most of those people know that like this is just a temporary thing and they're never most likely ever going to see you again. Yeah. So there's that kind of freedom. So I thought the movie really did a good job of capturing that type of transition over the long term, but that feeling of being extremely liberated by kind of being welcomed into that nomad community where everybody's in it together for their own reasons. Uh, I thought the movie did a good job at showing that kind of transition. But I would say for Fern, I feel like Jesse, the word you used impression, impressionistic uh, was good because I felt like I didn't really, didn't really have a grasp on her entirely in the end. And I felt like there were more just certain expressions or certain actions that I kind of latched onto personally and others that I didn't. But I thought that was actually a really good way to do it because none of the people out there were there for the exact same reason. And in a way she kind of doesn't fully reveal why 
she's doing it. You can pick up things like what Mike was talking about, a sort of a sense of duty to kind of keep this memory of her husband alive. But she's also a little defensive at times when people ask her, because there's numerous occasions in the movie where somebody says, look, you can stay with us. We can help you out. You don't have to do this. And she's a little defensive and like, you know, don't, don't ask me why I'm doing this. Like this, you know, this is what I want to do. I felt like she's, it sort of stayed guarded and mysterious a little bit towards the end. You get a lot of it gets eliminated, but I thought it was really more of an impressionistic thing. And I liked it that way. I latched on to certain things uh, that resonated with me in particular. I thought was one of the best moments is when she goes to Dave's son's house and she sees Dave for the first time inside. And after they exchange pleasantries, she mentions, you know, Hey, your, your tire's flat on your van, Dave. And he's like, Oh, I, I didn't notice. And then she has this beautiful look on her face. that is it's, it's a great look because it's entirely hard to, to pinpoint, but I would say it's a little bit of dis- disappointment almost. Yeah. And yeah, what she went through with her own flat tire. Yeah. You know, like all this work, you can't have a flat tire. That's the worst thing for a nomad. If yeah. If your van is a flat tire, what kind of nomad are you? Yeah. You're not in, and it's just sort of, you've sort of, you've given up on this. Like, you yeah. Know, you've turned away from that duty. And I feel like at that point in the movie, she really is seeing this as a duty, something that she has to do, something that's almost sacred. And she's a little disappointed at that, that he's, that he's giving up on it. I think that's really what leads to her eventually leaving is she doesn't want to become like that. There's something sacred about what she's doing that she wants to keep alive. And I do feel like some of the really nomadic people that I've met out there that have traveled long, long term are sort of mysterious in this way that they kind of get a little defensive when you ask why they're kind of like, it's just, you know, don't, don't push me for why I'm doing it. You know, there's, I just, I have my reasons. I thought like she did a good job of like developing as a character, but still pre- preserving that mystery, which I thought captured the nomad vibe that I've that I've encountered myself. So I, I yeah, I would say impressionistic is a good word to describe it. All right, so Mike, thank you for what you said because that was that was more helpful in like bringing her character together as a whole, like recognizing that she has like almost fear of attachment and is running away and in trying to embrace something else in the certain, in the certain kind of freedom. I think that's important for her as a whole. And then going today with the impressionistic, like literally like the uh, expressions and impressions that she makes from those. Yeah. There's, there are still some things that don't quite click. I think it's, and now that I hear you speak, uh, talk about it. I think it's the the sacredness of the um, of the nomad life that is really that is really something that I don't fully understand, and that led me to not fully understand uh, Fern as a character completely. And th- I think that's fine. Uh, I just I'm not personally drawn to this nomad life, and I get how she could be into something that I'm not into, but I just don't fully get it. And you're right. I think she does see it as sacred. It's something that I, that I understand to a degree. I understand getting really into something, but I don't understand like that sacred attitude towards it. So I guess that's where my disconnect with her happens. But yeah, uh, I think I understand her better now that you guys have, have talked about her more. I'd like to, to talk a little bit too about kind of what, what all three of you guys are saying. I, I definitely agree about the impressionistic aspect. I also agree. I don't quite understand the sacredness, but I also, I don't understand it because I don't believe that for myself. 
But I totally get why she's saying it, and I get that she thinks it's sacred, which seems enough for me. What, what honestly, the, something I've been thinking about while listening to you guys talk is Fern strikes me as someone so fully realized, so concrete, so real in this movie that she kind of just feels like a friend. She feels mm. like a friend that stopped by for a weekend. I've known for a while. And I don't quite get everything about her. I know the broad strokes of her life. And I can draw parallels between that and things that she's said. But I don't really know what's happening. Not in the way that yeah. something like Sound of Metal like is about sort of eviscerating this character and really opening him up to you as a viewer. You get to see everything and you get to really get into him. This isn't really trying to do that. It And it... It's more, like you're saying, it's more an impression-based thing. It tells you some things and leaves some things up to you to fill in or try to grapple with or try to understand. Yeah. Um, and I, I really like that. Maybe that's also, like, I, I didn't have much of a an emotional reaction to this movie. And I think that's, that is kind of why is that, that feeling of it feels like someone actually telling me a, a story about their lives or I saw this happen to them. And since it happens to them, I do feel empathetic towards them. I feel drawn in emotionally to what they're feeling moment to moment. But at the end of it, I didn't walk away feeling anything, anything big in my life. I didn't, I didn't feel very touched by the movie. It's like I, I went on a ride with this person and then I got out of the car and they drove away. And I can't, I've been thinking about it a lot. It stayed in my thoughts. Um, and maybe in that way, in, in my quote unquote spirit, if you will. But I didn't have that emotional reaction that I did at the, at the end of Sound of Metal, like at physically crying. Um, and I wasn't looking for it either. But it was just it was just so funny that when I walked away, it really felt like I had gone on a journey with them and then they left and that they're out there cruising the United States somewhere or maybe Mexico. And I'll see them again sometime, you know, because I think there's still stuff going on with Fern. I think she resolves her in terms speaking about this in movie terms, I think she's resolved her, her main conflict. She gets rid of the storage shed that we see her paying for at the beginning. Mm -hmm. She goes to the house, she walks around it, and then she leaves the door open as she walks out of frame. And the camera stays in frame and focuses on the horizon. And you go, yeah, there it is. That's the ending. That's the emotion. Boom, done. And when that's over, movie's over. And it's, it's perfect. It's great. It's a fantastic ending. But I almost feel like if, if in 10 years, there's a Nomadland return to Nomadland. Like, I'd, I'd be down for that. I could see that happening. And it would it would be kind of the same thing. But it or would also be, it would be Mad Max Fury Road. Right. I feel like with that 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 title, it's got to be either that or Mad Max Fury Road. Nomadland, Nomadlandier. <laughs> <laughs> Nomadland, beyond Amazon. What yeah. happens again? No, beyond the Amazon Dome. That's what there it's going to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's going to be Frances McDormand in her 80s just owning fools with a battle axe? No. Yeah, uh, but I could see... I mean, I would see that movie. Yeah. Right. But I would I would actually see a trilogy of movies about Fern because I think because she's a person, there's a lot of stuff going on with her. Like we're all saying, I think there's a lot of story that could be told. She's a deeply complex human with deep moving emotions. And this was about her grief at her husband and her moving into a new life. And yeah. I, I thought that was I thought that was really incredible. Yeah, man, I have to say, I would hate it if they made Nomadland 2. I would absolutely hate it. <laughs> you, I, I you, don't, you don't want to see... It's just like Beyond I, Sunrise or Beyond Sunset. I, I don't think I... No, no, I don't think I want to see You don't want to see Fern again? I, I mean, I I want to see this movie again. 
Um, but I don't want to see, yeah. I, I don't think that we need it in a certain way. I feel like, no, we don't need it. Well, I don't <laughs> want it. I don't want it. I feel like I feel like this is a story that's very specific and it's very specifically told, yeah. um, and it would kind of uh, water it down to add another another bit to it. I, I feel like it wouldn't affect the main movie at yeah. all. But <laughs> well, I mean, in a way, you know, I, but, it, yeah. it feels like it feels like a sequel would be betraying the nomadic style of like you're here and then you're gone and then maybe you can meet up sometime later which is like maybe you can watch this movie again or maybe it'll enter your thoughts again but not like uh, it's a one and done deal that's a nomadic lifestyle i mean i'm not, yeah, I'm, not yeah. I'm not advocating i'm sorry Dave, go ahead oh i was yeah i totally i, to, I was gonna say I, I totally agree with that because the movie as a whole does that and the way that it is structured it's very there's just little a lot of little vignettes that just kind of happen and then they're gone you know i'm like the part where she sees the same um, young guy hanging out at the gas station that she saw earlier in the movie. And he was with his friends the first time and he's by himself the second time. And she goes over and sits down with him and shares a cigarette and they connect on the last exchange that they had, which is an extremely mundane exchange where she gives him a lighter. But they, you know, they recall that. And then um, they have a beautiful exchange where she quotes him a Shakespeare sonnet. Yeah. It's the most like incredible recitation of of a Shakespearean sonnet I've ever heard. It is, and the expression on his face when he's listening is is beautiful. But it fades out, I think, even before it's done, and then that's it. You just that that it's just over, and it just moves into the next thing. I feel like that's kind of also captures the feeling of being out on the road. Is that there's a lot of these little moments that just kind of flicker and then they're gone, and there's just there's no continuity to it. It's just, it's over. And that, that was a little snippet you got. Everything intersected in that way for a minute, and then it's gone. So I feel like the movie kind of does that, too. There really isn't anything to continue. It's just something that just flickered and then vanished. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't even meaning to imply that. I was literally saying, I liked Fern a lot. Yeah. yeah. And I would like to see her again. That, that's it. That was all I was saying, mm-hmm. you you rabid bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> I just... I just... Yeah, sorry, I uh, I just jumped all over that. I just uh, I just hate sequels that are unnecessary, and so whenever anybody talks about it, I want to make sure that that the the other voice is heard. Um, for it's called the, the internet, internet mic. Yeah, yeah for the, <laughs> <laughs> all right. And for I'm the movie sorry. studios, because they listen to me for some reason. I don't know. And I'm sorry for they jumping don't. so hard on that because Mike was jumping all over that, so I felt like I had to get into it. <laughs> Why do you always feel that? <laughs> <laughs> we just it's like. You know, it's I see a fight happening, and I just calmly walk into the middle of it because I want chaos in my life. <laughs> I should live. I should live with you. You have it every day, <laughs> or me. Dude, my daughter. Um, I was sitting with my wife, and my daughter came over to the coffee table, and there was a big stack of books, and she just came over and she said hi, and then she just pushed one, two, three. She pushed all the books over one by one, and then walked away. Just, just no reason. It's great. It's chaos. I love it. Yeah, I love it. She, she is, she is a chaos sower. It's, it's, it's amazing. Fantastic. <laughs> love it. She's gonna have amazing romantic relationships in her later life. <laughs> I don't, I don't um, think about that. Um, <laughs> wait, but I, I wanted to, uh, Dave. That poem. I think that poem actually tells it tells us a lot about the movie and sort of who Vern is and and kind of where she's going next. Mm-hmm. So that we don't need a sequel. Um, because that poem, <laughs> just want to make sure. A safe place. <laughs> um, 
No, so that, that poem is about, uh, it's Shall I Compare Thee to a Summer's Day and William Shakespeare, by, by Shakespeare. And he kind of goes through a bunch of things and he says, uh, basically like, no, you're not a summer's day, you're this, you're that. Um, and, and it basically ends with him saying, like, like none of these, none of these different things in nature are enough to capture all of you. Mm -hmm. Um, and he, he basically ends by saying, so long as, as something can see it, uh, it will exist. And that's, that's yeah. a theme that's very present in the movie. And, and it goes back to what she said about her, her husband um, and uh, how she felt that if she were to move on with her life in any way, um, she, uh, she would be leaving him behind and, and he would basically might well, might as well have not existed. But I think that what happens is that she sort of takes on almost a, a religious role to the world. And that's really what she's going through uh, when she leaves Dave's house, because she's realized that she, she's left everything behind. She isn't anymore, you know, tied to that. She's, she's passed. Uh, she, she, I guess she's, she's carrying it with her still, but instead what she's doing, she drives out and she goes to the beach, right? She goes to, I think they're, they must be in Washington or in Oregon. And she watches the waves and she's whirling around in her car. And, you know, we've seen her sort of transform, uh, especially because of her relationship with Swanky into someone who's taking time to look at things, look at the beauty in nature. And I think that that's almost the religious role that she's taken on to herself. She is there to, to see the beauty of nature, the beauty of the world, to remember it so that it can be seen and it can have presence. Yeah. Um, so it's almost like she's she's grown from just providing that reality to her husband and then to the town, to the entire world or to nature as a whole, to the beauty that's that's available. And I think I think that's the core of why she's she's sticking with the nomadic lifestyle in a way and why she's choosing it is so that she can she can do that. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess I, I feel like. There is a reason why she's doing it, and it, it does provide us with that reason, and it's not unclear. But but maybe maybe no, I think that's a really good point. I didn't really think about the content of the poem, which was a mistake, because that makes a lot of sense that it needs to be seen, and that somebody has a duty to be out there doing it, seeing it, remembering it, and yeah. that if nobody's doing that, something really precious will be lost. Yeah, and that is a way that you could see the nomadic life as, as sacred for sure. I, I would like to say it doesn't, it, you, you said a few very firm declarative statements. It is unclear because you need outside sort an outside text to fully understand it. So in that way, it's not perfectly in the text of the movie. And even more so, I think there is, there is a few levels of understanding that go with that. And a few layers here that I think are there if you're looking for them in that way. Uh, and I think it's definitely a very good, very complete reading of the movie. Um, but I don't think that's that's necessarily the only quote unquote like correct reading or the quote unquote right reading. Now I'm not saying there's like a better one out there that suggests a totally wild other take. It's a great reading of it. But I, I don't I don't know if if to Jesse's point what he was saying or what I was feeling too, that impressionist nature is negated by that or that we can't view it that way as well. Yeah, no, yeah, that, that that's that's absolutely fair, and and yeah, that was a declarative statement. 
I guess I meant for for me, it, it seemed clear, and okay. uh, um, and and that's a that's a better way to say it. I don't mean to, yeah. Because um, I, I didn't get any of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I watched it twice, and I, I looked oh, up good. the poem okay. to read it because it's like, dude, those sonnets are freaking complicated. I mean, I think it just gives you another little nugget to grab onto, and it's definitely like insight about it. But I mean, it's it's not like the whole. It's not like you really have like the aha. I get I get the whole point of this movie. Yeah. Which. Yeah. And I like yeah. that it's tied up in just that really isolated little scene and it kind of fades away because I don't think they finished. She finishes reading. Doesn't it fade out? I think she gets to the end. Does she? she does. I, I, think, right. I think she does. Yeah. Okay. I could be wrong. But I think, you know, to some extent, like the movie does have to offer some defenses for the, the sacredness of this. And I think that's one of them. And I think a lot of the other characters express a similar, a similar take. I feel like in a way, Bob is kind of doing a similar thing swanky it's a different take on it but i think hers is also kind of sacred that she's like radically committed to savoring the beauty of the world because she knows that she's her death is imminent yeah and she approaches it with some brutal realism but it's also very beautiful that you know she's completely not bullshitting herself at all about what the situation is and what she's doing and she's still committed to savoring the beauty of the world no matter what and i felt like that had a very um sacred quality to it as well but it was different it, it wasn't the same journey that those other people were on um but i thought it also kind of offered a defense of like why you could see this as as sacred and and a good preparation for death in her case to do to do this yeah yeah like a lot of her journey seems to be very very healing so it's not just a giving out into unto the world like like a religious figure but also like a she's been hurt drastically and she's trying to recover she's trying to do everything she can to recover um in fact that sort of desperateness kind of drives her to flight i think i i think that's part of the reason why she's out there and that was the, the trauma aspect i mentioned earlier it seems like everybody's out there somehow somewhere like met trauma and it had to drive them outside it made them the outsider so yeah i but yeah i i like your reading and, and i think it's right but like I think like I was saying before, like she just comes across as like a real person with like, and any person that does an action, they have like many motivations for doing that. And I see that in Fern and I think you can get any thread and go back pretty deep. And I think that's really cool. I think that's amazing. I think that even makes it like more impressionistic, but like almost like reasonably. So like, like it's a way where you can just like intellectually, see all the different impressions that were made on you. And that's awesome. Uh, I don't think I've ever really seen anything quite like that before. Do you think they'll answer it definitively in the Fern Supremacy? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe Fern, Fern, Dead Man's Chest. We're going to get that. That would, that would be amazing. I literally cannot wait. Johnny Depp also plays Fern. Johnny Depp and Fern is Fern. Because it's not Francis of It's just Johnny Depp could play a no man. No man, no problem. I feel like he's going to be doing that role pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. I just can't wait for Fern the return of Swanky. That'll be... <laughs> That's a good one. I like that one a lot. Man, I didn't know this could be like a whole segment, but trying to figure out the, 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 all the different titles is great. So where where... So now I think we've talked a lot about Fern and I think in that way, we've actually talked like a buttload about the movie is, is there other aspects about this that, that were interesting or popped up to anybody or, or that rhymed with what we said about Fern? 
All right. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you guys, um, given the fact that that's so impressionistic, it's like you're you're seeing just a segment of her life for a short time, and the fact that most of the people in here are played by themselves. I couldn't help but think that this would have been a stupendous documentary, right? So I want to ask you guys, like, what do you think that this functions better as a narrative film or if it could have been a documentary and been just as good? So Jessica Bruder, who was the one that originally wrote the book, she did capture some of it on video but we didn't have the sort of video capabilities back in in just post 2008 as we do now uh i feel like a travel log would be entertaining and it would be kind of fun to see like oh this is the part where it's really cold and she's hopeless and then this is the part where she's dancing in the rain and then this is the part where she meets a weird person and then this is the part where it got kind of dangerous like i feel like that hits too many beats and you wouldn't really be able to have that kind of transcendental experience that I think a narrative film is able to get because you have a professional actor who can play pretend a little bit mm -hmm. and can really sink that and really earn those emotional moments. You know, it would be really hard to get people to open up, I think, in a, in a good way in a documentary in the way that this movie seems to get people to open up. Yeah, because I was I was going to say that it. I think a documentary would make it too easy for people to be like, "Oh, this is van life. That looks cool." Yeah, you know, the narrative film really brings out the human side of it. That like, there's there's really deep, painful reasons in many case, cases why these people are doing this, and you know, you can and also the economic situation at the time that many have been forced into it. I feel like a documentary would have been it would have potentially either been too van life this is cool or drifted too much into politics like this is so bad that those evil <laughs> bankers did this to these people you know i feel okay. like it could have easily drifted into those kind of things but the movie i thought avoided both of those really well and a documentary i think might have focused too much on like the mechanics of living on the road whereas this kept it focused on why you why people would do it yeah i don't know i and i felt like it's i felt like it definitely was a a movie and i think a story better told that way was the book uh the book was more of a documentary type it was of not thing, right? Yeah, okay. It was it was more of a um a summation of an experience. Okay. Yeah. Surviving America in the twenty first century. I think I can mostly see what you guys are saying. But suppose it was a really good documentary, right? Suppose it was somebody like, you know, it had planet Earth style like camera work going on where you see the landscapes really well, and then like Maybe it didn't go into the politics. Maybe it just stuck with these people. It stuck with the people just going into like why they're there, why they're doing what they're doing. Because there are some great documentaries that can do that. So what about this then makes it more of a cinematic experience uh, and more of a, a movie? It's, it's so personal. It's so personal for Fern. It's so personal for Francis McDormand. Um, I think that's what it is. It's 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 about it's not only about America post two thousand eight, which is touched on in the movie, and they they mention it a couple times, but that that's not really the thrust. It's it's about Fern. Mm -hmm. There's I don't think there's there's as effective a film or documentary without the character of Fern. It, without it, I mean, you have something else. You have a different thing, and that could also be very good or could not be as successful either. 
but this particular story with you need this actress, you need this director, you need this story to put all three together to get something really cooking. So yeah, you could definitely have a documentary and you should, and you should go off and make it, Jesse. Yeah. Uh, and I want, I will watch it. I really want to see it. Yeah. But I think that this particular story is just so personal and so unique. It, it needed to be told with a narrative. Okay. Good question. Good question. I, I really do want to see Nomadland, the documentary as well. I, I would, I would love to see Linda May for a long time. I'd love to see Swanky right, for yeah. a long time. I would, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, one, one of the other things that I just, I mean, like this is sort of part of why you can't do it is because of the just excellent filmmaking. I mean, I feel like I've read this all over the internet, but um, having read it all over the internet and then watched it again, I was able to see very clearly uh, the way that it really is shot in a lot of ways, like a Western um, or there, there's, there's aspects of the Western sort of shoot like, like shots. I, I mean, I get it. It's kind of a deep, uh, it's, it's an absolute deconstruction of, of what a Western is, but she's like the lone cowboy who's riding yeah. her, her horse into town and there's so many shots of her like walking through town, like start starting with the original um, like a uh, camper place that she's at. But then, like it, I almost when she walks through the the camp at the um, near court site, it almost felt like John Wayne riding through town. You know, mm-hmm. like she's waving, like someone says, "Hey, come on over here." She says, "Oh no, I'm just going for a walk. Like I'll see you later." You see, like dust, uh, the 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 dirt bikes coming in the distance. And they kind of go by. Um, I don't know. It's just yeah, it just felt so much like like John Wayne riding through town, but it's also from that perspective. I, I mean, like she is that sort of individualist character. She's an individualist, like she is proud of what she's been able to do and with her life. But it's it's kind of a depressing take on it because you know it's not like she's she's not a cowboy. She's lost all that she had. Um, yeah. and is trying to, to make do with, with what she can, which I don't think you can necessarily come, come to or make sure it comes across in a documentary. Um, right. Maybe you can. I don't know. Uh, I'm not a yeah. documentary filmmaker, but I mean, take, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think you could make an excellent documentary about these people yeah. in the subject. But I, yeah, I mean, I think like what Vito's saying about the character of Fern and Francis McDormand's acting really makes us into just, it's just a different piece of art than it would be otherwise yeah okay i i think i can see that now yeah documentary would have been too it would have been a little too removed because it's just so obvious that they're that they're talking to the camera and really talking to a another person whereas in a movie you just feel it, it does feel more personal it feels like you know her and then plus like 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 what you were saying it's almost like cinematography is important for building a mood, building an emotion, building up a character. And you would miss that out. You would miss out like on the, <laughs> the way the, the Western camera work is done. That's kind of necessary here. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. Cool. All right. Then final two questions. I think number one, if we were in van life, we we're going to do van life. Each one of us, would we do it? Dave, would you go back to van life? Would you go back to living on the road? Like if I was in Fern's position at the end? You mean? No, no, no. Or like in, in, in your in your current life, oh. would you would you be nomadic again or more so nomadic? Yes. Yeah. Unequivocal yes. Why? Right. Don't ask me about that. No. <laughs> um, it, it is it's really I don't know. It is really hard to pinpoint why it's so 
intoxicated. I, I keep using that word, but I really feel like that is, how do you put it? I think when you are radically varying your circumstances all the time, that makes you notice all the stuff that doesn't change about yourself and about other people. And I think if you're really like the feeling of just getting in touch with what's just very simply true and is the case, I feel like being nomadic can really show you that. And in a very literal way, if you're completely out on the road, I mean, van life or just uh, or just backpacking, you're, you really have very little to go on, both in terms of material possessions and in terms of like your persona and your social credibility, because most of that counts for very little in that situation and you can't really rely on it. But it also frees you to lead with the parts of your personality that you like the most and that you think are actually the best as opposed to the things that you may need to lead with in order to preserve your position or, you know, get what you get, the things you need. And I think that's just extremely liberating. And it's, I think it's also intoxicating to be around other people that are in that state of liberation because people are so freely, they're so, they so freely speak about things that are deeply personal and meaningful to themselves. And I think it just enables you to get a sense of like what people are like deep down. And it's an interesting thing that I've noticed that among the people that I've met that have been like long-term travelers, they all have made the same comment that, you know, if you travel long enough, you really notice that people everywhere you go, people are, are really the same. And I think if you're a homebody, it, you would tend to feel like, you know, if you traveled to a foreign country, people are going to be extremely different everywhere you go. And in a lot of ways, I mean, that's true on the surface level, but I think the more you vary it, the more you start to notice that actually the basic human motivations are pretty much common everywhere you go. And then I think you start to notice that about yourself too. What you really need to be happy is a very simple set of things, um, but you can kind of only realize that when everything else is kind of constantly being being scraped away. So I would, I would definitely do it again. I've always, I mean, I've always been attracted to it for that reason, I think. But kind of also what's romantic about it is that it's hard to pin down, pin down exactly what is so appealing about it. And I think this movie kind of did a good job of showing that how Fern really seems to have to wrestle with it quite a bit to almost understand it herself, like why she wants to do this so much. And something about the mysteriousness of that is appealing too to me that's a that's a fascinating take that's i would not have i would not have thought that in a million years not about any one thing that you said but just all of them put together i i i'll answer in response to that is that uh i, I did a fair amount of traveling when i was younger only through the american west which is where i grew up and through the different states there and um it is funny noticing just the differences in people between wyoming montana and north dakota Idaho, Colorado, just those, even though the regional, the specific differences in all those people, but then also, like you're saying, the commonalities that you always find. I love what you're talking about when you mention when everything is sort of scraped away, how you're looking at yourself mm -hmm. in that way too, and finding the things that, that are common to you and the things that aren't changing about you. And in a lot of ways, I've actually found a lot of that staying in one spot 
which is it's kind of an opposite take. I would never, I would never want to live a nomadic lifestyle at this point in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, even if I didn't have a family, I, I love settling down. I've always wanted to do it. Uh, it's just been kind of like a dream of mine to have a a single place that I sat down in. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm, you can see I'm sitting in this chair. I love this chair. I sit in this chair every damn day. I look forward to the time I sit in this chair in this basement. I really love that. Uh, and so the prospect of going out of the road is, is you, you normal, you humanized it for me. You made it understandable. Uh, and I, I really thank you for that because before I, I guess maybe that's what I'm talking about when I didn't emotionally necessarily connect with Nomadland as much as, as some of you other guys did is that I, I didn't get this, this urge, I guess. Mm-hmm. And now that I've, I've seen it explained in this movie and then through your own words, I, I really, I really have a better understanding of why, why this would be. And I respect it. I, I, I respect it enough to say that's not for me. And I don't think I would get out what you're getting out of it. Mm-hmm. But I hope if you ever do go back out there, you find all that to be true again. <laughs> Yeah, I um, I definitely wouldn't do it now. Uh, I've got a family. We wouldn't fit in there. Um, gotta get a sprinter. Dude, I don't... That's the thing right now. Gotta get a sprinter. <laughs> gotta, right get a sprinter. <laughs> gotta get a sprinter. Podcast got, has got to make it big to get that. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Patreon, baby. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, I, I definitely... I mean, I've, I definitely see the attraction to it. It's something... I, I've... You know, I, I'm a big fan of... Of seeing things, I, I guess, I, and the the attraction to it, to living in my car and being able to go uh, wherever I wanted to go is is definitely there. Being able to to drive and end up, you know, in the Pacific Northwest or uh, in the middle of the Badlands, like that's incredible. Um, and a lot of what you said, Dave, definitely resonates. You know, the silence and the peace uh, that you achieve through being on the road or being in beautiful places, at least, um, maybe that's more, more of my experiences is something that I find really important in my life for me and something that I need, but I also don't think I'd be very good at it for a long time. I don't think that I'd be very good at being on the road for a long time. That's, uh, why I'm, I'm not and why I settled down and had a family and I'm excited for like family road trips and that sort of thing where we can go and see some of that stuff together. Because I think what I love most is being able to share that sort of thing with, with people that I love. And so I don't know, that's, that's how I'm planning to find that balance to, to find that, that part of, of life that I seek and, and want to a degree along with this thing that I find most important to me, having a family and being settled. Yeah. What about you, Jesse? Yeah, I just need to convince Liz to hop in a van, put the kids in the uh, the car seats, and let's go. Let's live our lives that way. Um, <laughs> Every once in a while, I'll, I'll say that to to Mary Claire, and she'll get freaked out. <laughs> like we're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get the same reactions. It would be so much fun. I would love to do that someday. Just like. Like my dad's retiring pretty soon and all he's taught uh, like next month and they're just going to take uh, my parents are just going to take a really long road trip as soon as they're done. That's his plan. Yeah. Nice. Um, I I think the nomadic lifestyle sounds great for a time, but I I was thinking about what Dave, what you were saying with the, um, the permanence thing, 
like I think why I would crave why I crave traveling and why most people do is like you want to go see something that's always been there. That's what's so cool about the Grand Canyon or about like any of these like like ancient redwood forests in Northern California and stuff like that. <clears throat> or just sunset and sunrise, period. You're you're seeing something that will happen tomorrow and has been happening for so long. Uh, there's a sense of permanence about it. But I also get that sense of permanence just here at home because everything's always basically the same. You know, my kids are always complaining about something. Liz is always complaining about something. So, like, I know <laughs> what to expect. live in a van. What's really fun is that, like, this is the only place where Jesse can, like, complain because Liz doesn't listen. <laughs> <laughs> the whole internet can hear. And you can count on that. <laughs> so, basically, I, yeah, I get the sense of permanence from, from the home life. And that is where I find the stability. That's where I, I know who I am and find myself every day. Just like I I know I'd be able to in Nomad Life too, but I just prefer this lifestyle. And I, I think that's cool. I think it's cool that we can talk about that because of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Just I think one more interesting that just to speak to the permanence thing that is also kind of interesting about experiences you have on the road is that. It's obvious that, you know, the long-term relationships that you have are going to be the most important, no question. But there's also a particular magic and a strange kind of permanence at the same time to these very short-lived but really interesting and dynamic combinations of people that all come together on the road and that they all go their separate ways at the end. And you get just kind of a different side of human relationship because there's so little of the baggage that comes with the settled life. So you get a more raw, real kind of interaction. But it's so fleeting that it's very rare that it ever gets to the point where it could get overcomplicated and messed up and, you know, it could just get stale and fall apart. And in a way, you kind of have these beautiful little things that are almost like frozen in amber that you always have with you. Mm -hmm. And in a way, that's kind of permanent, too that they'll never be tarnished or messed up or get overcomplicated. And of course, like the long-term relationships like that, really the working through those things is really you know, a huge part of having a meaningful life. But I feel like it is, I don't know how to put it. I think it is a very worthwhile thing to have some of these preserved in amber that you can get a different side, see a different side of what human relationships can be. And just what the world can produce that, you know, so many different lives spider webbing out from so many different chains can just randomly intersect in one very interesting way at one specific time and place. And then just never be that way again. I always find that to be really a really fascinating side of human relationships. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that you can, that you can get on the road, but the memories of those are in a weird way permanent because they'll never be affected by mm. anything else that happens because of that. All right. Um, if we got nothing else, I think we have to answer our final question, right? Yeah, let's, let's do, do it. it. All right. Starting with you there, bud, Jesse. Uh, is this a dad movie? Yeah, I'll say it is. This is the if, this is probably the strangest dad movie we've ever had. I would like my kids to see this just like one time because it's important to know 
this segment of the population who does live their life this way. Yeah. Yeah. It's a dad movie. What about you, Mike? I love this movie. I think it's beautiful. And I want everybody to see it. Um, I, I feel like it's got so much heart. This movie has so much heart. It, it's it's a piece of historical evidence of, of what happened. And it's also this incredibly, I don't know, uh, empathetic and and just just loving view of of these of these people on, on the road these people who have lost so much i think it it opens up uh your mind and opens up your ability to connect with other people but at the same time i feel that kind of i i said this about another movie i can't remember what it was um it was uh, sunset boulevard sunset boulevard yeah, yeah yeah sunset boulevard I feel like calling it a dad movie or or a western isn't good enough for it. It's like it almost. puts it in a box. Yeah, that maybe it like it doesn't fit in that box. Great, like it would. Yeah, but it's like it's a little yeah. off. Yeah, yeah, it's both a little off because um, I don't, yeah, yeah, both because I think it's grander than than that box, um, and also because. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe just that. It's it's grander than that box. But at the same time, I don't know. I've been thinking about what I said about Sunset Boulevard, and I wonder if if uh, if I'm wrong there. Um, I, I think I'm not. I think I'm not. I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna hold. I'm gonna hold on to this. Yeah, what okay. you said about Sunset Boulevard several times um, mm-hmm. in the wake of us doing that episode. I have actually thought about that ending argument that you give. Yeah. Yeah, and so if you're gonna say it's not a dad movie, I'm gonna. I think I'm going to agree with you. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I've been just kind of thinking through what I thought there, applying it to this movie. This movie is bigger than than a dad movie. It's a movie that I will hopefully show my kids. Um, I hope that they see when they're older. And that's part of it, too, is that they got to be older, man. they got to be almost, late teens, early like, 20s yeah, at, like at not, the earliest. They're out of life. your house, like almost. <laughs> in, in a way, they have to experience that, that sort of choice and the needs uh sort of that that you require to live alone and like having to fend for themselves a bit um before they can really relate to it i think um so yeah not exactly a dad movie but this dad loves this movie i think i think using our previous criteria it's hard it's hard because if we get hard and fast with rules it becomes not so fun and we get like backdoored (laughs) into doing something we don't want to do uh we did say in the sunset boulevard one that the dad movie is is mostly like an honoring of something it's not so much genrefying something because we're talking about the dad genre and we're including as many things as we can so it's not necessarily like saying it's a western but i hear what you're saying and i and i at least for me personally what I'm, where I'm going to zag but still agree with you is I'm going to say it's not a dad movie because I do see the, the points being made here are valid. And when my daughter comes of age, I hope that she is friends with your guys' kids yeah. so that she can go to your guys' house and you can show Nomadland and you can talk to her about it. <laughs> <laughs> because I just I, I, I don't know if I need to see it a few more times, if I need to sit with it for a while. I don't feel like I, I have a lot of dialogue with this movie. And what has been the case with all the other movies that I have voted dad movie, and I think I voted dad movie more than anyone. Um, Probably, yeah. Well, actually, I think we all might have one exception. Um, no, no, I was also the, I think, I don't know. Well, I'll go back. Yeah. Maybe, actually, if there's a listener out there that wants to put together an Excel spreadsheet of who voted for what and when, I'd really appreciate it. That'd be so cool. Um, but I'm going to say 
I'm going to say no. I'm just going to say no because this dad, while he acknowledges everything that's good about this movie, everything you guys are saying is right. I just don't love it as much. I just don't feel an attachment to it. That's all. It's not the movie's fault. I just don't feel that. Um, and I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. Yeah. What do you think, Dave? Um, I would have to say it's definitely a dad movie to me from the perspective of it's a movie that I would add to the canon of things that I would want to share. Canon of movies that I would want to share with my kids. Nice. Um, I agree that it is an odd name to give it and also that they need to be older. But I mean, you can still share movies with your kids when they're adults, too. For sure. And, you know, I, I recommended this to my parents who really enjoyed it. And I think watching it together with them, if we had been able to, would have been um, a good experience and we all would have gotten something out of it. So I almost feel like that would be the kind of dad movie it is, something you watch um, with your kids like later in life. When they're adults. Yeah, when they're adults, um, when you can really understand it. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, as I've made clear, it resonated with me on a personal level a lot. And I feel like, I feel like understanding this kind of ethos that the movie has would be like an important part of understanding me. So mm. it would it definitely makes me want to add it to my canon of things I would want to I would want to share with my kids. Yeah, no doubt. Awesome. So we're 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 at a split. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's actually the first time we ever come down to a full on split because I think once upon a time in Hollywood I agreed to side with the majority. I think um, I've been the, the, the naysayer most often. <laughs> you may say just twice, I think, or three times. I, I don't remember. Well, I think I think it's only two or three times. Has any listener who's well, making that okay. Excel spreadsheet, let me know. Uh, so, Mike and Vito, then, we'll uh, you. if you guys don't come over to the dad movie side, then what we have is giving this movie the accolade of half a dad movie, which is worse than full dad. So I think you but, should come over. <laughs> I, I don't want to say anything against this movie i think i think it is really wonderful i think it deserves all the attention it deserves all the love that we could possibly give it uh it's it's technically well made beautifully acted wonderfully written um but i just i i, I want to award a dad movie award or the dad movie classification it's not an award it's a classification of certain kinds of movies for my own sake it just isn't there for me that's it yeah, I, I guess. So if anyone's going to yeah, go over, it's going to be Mike. I, I'm not going to go over. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about it more and more. I guess I, in, in what you said, like I think of dad movie as sort of like teen movie or like, um, like you know, a, a. What about Dave, what about what Dave said? Well, I, yeah, it's also a little convincing. Like it is something that I think is important about me. I think it's less important about me maybe than it is for you. Yeah. And which is like this is one of the really amazing things about this movie. I, I haven't talked to that many people about it, but I feel like. Like all of us, we all have pretty different takes on it and yeah. different sort of uh, reception to it, which isn't usual. There's usually at least two of us that are pretty much at, at the very least rhyming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I think everyone get it hits them differently. It's an extremely personal movie, which is, yeah. I, I, don't know, I think it's really cool. Um, we but got, we got to wrap it up. We yeah. got to make a choice. Yeah, we got. I, I'm I'm staying. I'm staying in my I'm, camp. I'm staying, I'm staying I'm over staying here on, on the nay side. I'm in the. All right, half the dad sure. movie goes to No yeah. Bedley yeah. for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it might happen again. I, this isn't like necessarily a divisive movie, but it's just it's it's very unique, and there are not a lot of things like it in the world. Yeah. I don't think. 
Yeah. I'm excited to see um, Eternals now. I know. What what, what in the <laughs> world is a Marvel movie going to look like from Chloe Zhao? It's like what Terrence in the Malick. hell is that? It's, it's like, like Terrence Malick movie? making a Marvel movie. But like a much more emotional Terrence Malick <laughs> with like clear characters and focus. And <laughs> a story. An actual story. Yeah. yeah. It might be just like too hot to handle. I know. I don't. And Angelina Jolie's in it? And a jacked Kumail Nanjani? Like what are we supposed to do with this fucking thing? No <laughs> like, idea. No, I did not know any of that. Yeah. I'm extremely <laughs> excited to see it. Yeah. I, it's going to be, whatever it is, it's going to be a beautiful, yeah. It might be a beautiful mess. I, I, I hope it is. That's actually what I'm hoping for. I don't want it to be amazing. I want it to be like two hours and 45 minutes of being like, what is happening? There are so many trees. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, we got to wrap it up. When Eternals comes out, we will definitely be talking to you guys about it. But uh, in the meantime, we hope you enjoy this. This is our first episode, as I said, in our new uh Losers, Misfits, Outcasts series that's going to run. We have some very special guests lined up for you coming up. We're really happy to have you today, Dave. Thanks for being on. Yeah, my pleasure. I really I really enjoyed the movie and being here. Yeah, we'll have to have you on sooner than every six months, I think, for sure. I'm down. Uh, as always, you can reach us at notyourfathersmovies at gmail.com. Visit our website, nyfmovies.com. And find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter. We're also on Reddit. Uh, also on Instagram, although that page has not really been updated recently. I'm getting on that. Don't worry. Um, Anything else? Am I missing anything, guys? I think that's it. That's it. Awesome. Well, I'm Vito. I'm Mike. I'm Jesse. And I'm Dave. Good night. Hang on. Pause. Jesse's garage door opened. <laughs> and he put himself on mute, which is very smart. I didn't hear it at all. There's a lot of shit going on with Jesse. Yeah. You know, this, yeah, is, yeah, this is the busiest <laughs> fucking garage. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um... Yeah, somebody like Clay is trying to get in. Hold on, Clay. <laughs> up, Clay? Clay. I do like Clay. When is Clay gonna be on the show? Yeah, man. <laughs> we've got a guest that's just like waiting there. I don't know. Wait, 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 uh, I, I had something to say about maybe, the, the maybe he's let in. I I gotta call him. Okay. Okay. I heard him ring the doorbell. I heard the dogs freak out. What's going on, Clay? You're on the show. Yeah. I, yeah. Hey, did you get in? Oh, okay, cool. Sorry. I'm recording in the garage and I opened the garage for you. All right, cool. Glad you're in. All right. Hey, Talk Clay. Bye, Clay. Bye, Clay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're back. <laughs> I think I'm going to cut that whole section out and put it at the end of the episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's great too. Yes. Be great. Uh, do it.